Welcome to the Adaptive Strength Podcast, where we explore the enjoyment of movement to bring about health and happiness. Each fortnight, you will hear practical and inspiring guidance, insightful conversations with coaches and experts, and interviews with everyday athletes on how they are achieving health and happiness in their lives. Now over to your host, Coach Sam. Welcome back to the Adaptive Strength Podcast. And today is just a solo episode with myself. And if you make it to the end, I'll be very impressed as today's episode is pretty meaty, but it's worth going through as there's so many uh, myths and misconceptions. And this is such an area that's so prevalent, low back pain. What should you do? Something we see every day and a lot of research really over the last 30 years hasn't really come through into clinical practice. So it's, it's, there's, there's just so much misconceptions out there. So this is a little bit of a guide and a good chance just to understand low back pain a little bit more. What, what are some things you can do and try and help build a little bit um, or empower you to kind of take control because it's something that we all kind of go through and some, you know, some can be pretty scary and recurring and really frustrating. So let's, I guess, create a bit more of a clear picture on what's really important for you. So whether you are experiencing like new or lingering or it's just recurring low back pain that's sort of stopping you from doing the things you enjoy or keeping you from feeling like yourself. Uh, we just wanted to create this episode so we can empower you with the knowledge and tools to feel more confident, capable, and uh, resilient than ever before. So let's dive in. And the first key point is you are not your diagnosis. So in the vast majority of cases, low back pain cannot be attributed to a single cause or diagnosis. Therefore, a specific diagnosis doesn't necessarily dictate the, re- the rehabilitation that is recommended. Uh, like, Have you ever heard any of the follow- following statements? Or I guess I do do a lot. So if you have a disc herniation, you should, you should avoid lumbar flexion or bending forward. If you have lumbar stenosis, you should avoid lumbar extension or bending backwards. If you have scoliosis, you should avoid lifting weights. While these statements are usually well-intentioned, they really oversimplify low back pain and don't consider the fact that it's always a very individualized experience. For example, what if the person with a disc herniation on imaging has improvements in symptoms or they feel better when they flex or bend forward? What if the individual with lumbar stenosis is actually asymptomatic, which means they have no, no pain? You know, they have lumbar stenosis, but they're not getting any of the negative painful side effects. All forms of physical activity are recommended for people with scoliosis. And there, there's no research to suggest that lifting weights increases the degree of scoliosis or any associated symptoms. So 
Although two people may technically have the same diagnosis, they might have vastly different symptoms, severity of symptoms, different aggravating factors, alleviating factors, different like functional capabilities, different goals, different lifestyles. Most of the time, the people, the, the, the person really dictates the rehabilitation process. So it's not really about the diagnosis. We think this is important for you to know because sometimes a diagnosis can cause people to become fearful of certain movements, exercises, or activities. And that's why at Adaptive Strength, you know, we really focus on just trying to improve your overall function, confidence, and tolerance, regardless of what specific diagnosis you might have. Does that mean that your diagnosis never matters? matters? Of course not. There's certain cases such as when you have a fracture or inflammatory condition or infection is present when maybe a specific medical management is required. So it's always, you know, if you're ever in doubt, it's always worth seeing a professional so you can rule out any red flags. So that's, that's the first key point I really wanted to get across. You are not your diagnosis. The second key point is you are not your MRI. It's often thought that X-rays or MRIs can tell us the exact cause of low back pain and how to fix it. But similar to specific diagnoses, imaging does not change the management or outcomes in the majority of cases. For that reason, X-rays and MRIs are not recommended for most instances of low back pain, specifically straight off the bat. Here are sort of three things to consider and just, just get you thinking a little bit more. The first, degeneration, disc bulges, and other similar findings are common in asymptomatic individuals. So that means that, that there's people out there that have degeneration, disc bulges, and other similar findings and have no pain. And, should be con- and, and, and really, those things should be considered a normal part of aging, just like the wrinkling of skin or the graying of your hair. For example, despite having no symptoms, or no pain, 37% of 20-year-olds show disc degeneration, while 96% of 80-year-olds show the same. Yet we don't walk around when we see pe- people's faces and saying, you've got face degeneration. Literally, it, yeah, it's, it's virtually the same concept. The second key point here is the degree of change in imaging doesn't necessarily correlate with a person's symptoms or functions. Someone may have significant osteoarthritic changes on imaging, yet have no pain or loss of function. On the other hand, someone may have minimal to no changes on imaging. You know, things are looking good on the image, yet they have severe symptoms and loss of function. So image can, I guess the, the, the third point here is imaging can create unnecessary worry and lead to further medical tests or treatments that are mostly unwarranted. Does that mean imaging is never required? Once again, the answer is no. Imaging may be necessary, especially if there's the chance of a fracture, infection, or cancer is suspected. Uh, If you're considering surgery at the recommendation of your doctor. But if you have any concerns, once again, please just speak with a professional. The the other key points, so so far we've got your, not your diagnosis, and you are not your MRI, this one is, might sound a little radical, but 
particularly with my background, which is all about movement, strength, posture, positions. But this, this is just keeping things real with you. Low back pain is not caused by poor posture. It's easy to blame low back pain on posture. You can have poor posture with no back pain. You can also have good posture with significant back pain. The research does not support the idea that any one posture or position is safer or riskier than the other. What about anterior pelvic tilt or lumbar flexion or slouching? They're not actually bad. These are just normal positions, the body that everybody moves in and out of a daily basis. Does, you know, does this mean that posture never matters? No, of course not. But we just want you to be, you know, we don't want you to permanently avoid or obsess over certain postures because you've heard that they cause low back pain. Let's say you have low back pain with prolonged periods of sitting. Could your symptoms be associated with the position of your spine in sitting? Sure. But they could also be related to the lack of movement and inactivity, the stress of what you're working on, and a variety of other factors. So a simple solution might be just to change your simple position. Stand up for a bit or go for a walk without ever having to worry about the position of your spine. It's just as possible for someone to experience pain with prolonged periods of standing. Sometimes people actually feel worse trying to stand up straight or sit up tall all the time because they're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to avoid sitting or slouching on the belief that it's harmful. But being sensitive to certain positions or postures doesn't mean that they're bad or the sole cause of the pain. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about strategies to help with these scenarios in a later episode. Uh, another big one that took a mindset shift for me, but when you look at the research, you just can't ignore this. Low back pain is not caused by a weak core. Although there is, this is one of the most pervasive myths related to low back pain, but there's no research to support the idea that low back pain is caused by a weak core. As I mentioned, this took me a while to fully accept, but as you know, something that's really important to me is being an evidence-based practitioner. So it's important to question why I had those beliefs you know, and be open to to change. Uh, it's important to know because the belief that low back pain is caused by a weak core can just lead to some unhelpful behaviors, such as feeling the need to constantly brace your, your trunk muscles in order to protect your back. Like, you know, bracing can be helpful when lifting heavy objects, such as deadlifts or squats in the gym, but it's unnecessary to consciously contract your muscles while sitting, walking, or, or doing most day-to-day tasks. A classic example is, Try clenching your fists for 60 seconds, as hard as you can. Come on. Actually, give it a go. Now imagine that you do that all day long. You'd probably want to relax your hands and muscles to relieve tension, right? Well, the same is true for the muscles of the trunk. It's okay to let them relax. In most cases, you don't need to think about bracing your core before performing a task. You have, you, have you ever carried all of your heavy grocery bags into your home in one trip? That's the only way we know how, right? Um, if, you, if you have then, then you have your body, which was, you know, your body was smart enough to do what it needed to do and you could feel <laughs> like the world's strongest person. The last little myth here is there is not a single muscle to blame for low back pain. Depending on the day, you might read or hear that low back pain is caused by a tight or weak or short or long 
or unactive or overactive hip flexor, quadratus, glob, globarium, mul multifacus, transverse abdominis, your, your glutes. They're, these are just a few examples that we've heard of, and there are probably many more we, we haven't heard of. We, we would have made this podcast much shorter if these statements were true, but unfortunately, it's just not the case. Strengthening, stretching, and other forms of exercises can be really helpful to help low back pain. And they're a key component of what we do here at Adaptive Strength, but the reasons why they're helpful is likely different from what you'd read or hear. And we'll just definitely discuss this in a, in a future episode. Hopefully, though, the overall trend is becoming clear that there is no singular cause of low back pain. So, what can you do? If there's no singular cause of low back pain, and therefore there's no quick fix, is there anything you can actually do to help yourself? Yes. And we'll get into them shortly. But first, there are three things you should, you should know. A first-time episode of low back pain often gets better on its own without treatment or intervention. This is actually true of many musculoskeletal aches and pains. Think of it like the common cold. Medication might make the common cold a little less miserable, but it was likely going to improve on its own over a matter of time anyway. If you were listening to this episode, I understand that might not be the case for you as you're likely experiencing long-standing or recurring episodes of low back pain. So we'll talk about that shortly. Developing a positive mindset, improving self-efficacy and shifting to a, a more internal locus of control can be helpful for managing low back pain. You know, are we optimistic about your situation? Do you feel you have control over your pain, how you respond to it or what you are able to do in spite of it? It's part of the reason why we don't, we, we try not to put too much focus on imaging because you generally can't control what's showing, showing in an x-ray or MRI. It's also why we emphasize self-management. It's great to receive guidance, like what you're doing listening to this episode, but it can be sometimes more difficult to feel confident and in control if you're depending on someone else to do something for you, such as needling or acupuncture. Like these things are fine and good and, and provide you with some relief, but this episode is about discovering and implementing what you can do for yourself. And thirdly here, although low back pain cannot be attributed to a single cause, you can still try and identify and modify possible contributing factors. So let's talk about some of these examples. And the first one is activity modifications. Activity modifications can be used to reduce the frequency, like the duration, or the intensity of your symptoms and pain. For example, if your low back pain starts after 30 minutes of sitting and intensifies with every minute that you continue to sit, then that is an activity you would like to consider modifying. Easy modification in this example is, if it's available to you, is to stand at the 29 minute mark or earlier before sitting back down and continuing your work. You could incorporate these standing breaks as needed throughout the day. Other options could include going for a walk or integrating the exercises, um, you know, some simple exercises into your daily routine. Most activity modifications are not meant to be permanent. Like in the previous example, we wouldn't expect you to only be able to sit for 29 minutes at a time for the rest of your life. Over the course of the days, the weeks, the months, you'd reintegrate and progress those aggravating activities as your pain and function improves. 
So try to identify if certain postures, positions, or movements increase your pain and determine if there are ways that you can modify them. Uh, Okay, another thing we can control is load management and the whole concept of graded loading. Load management is intimately tied in with, with the last concept. So let's assume that your aggravating activity is barbell back squatting. Do you have to discontinue it completely? Maybe not. You might manipulate like the frequency, how often you squat, or the intensity, how heavy you squat. Or you can play with the volume of squatting or change the range of motion and the tempo. You might even swap out the exercise entirely for a few months while symptoms calm down. Uh, There's so many, as you can see, there's so many options we could do. If Another example, if one of your aggravating activities is yoga, you'd want to modify the poses you do or the classes you take, you know, if certain positions are are feeling pain. If your primary activity aggravating activities running you might be able to manipulate the frequency you know how often you're running or the intensity how fast you're running or the volume how much you run or the type of running whether it's trails or hills in a way that you can run with tolerable symptoms while still making progress you can apply this thought process to walking sports and other activities relevant to your goals you don't want to do too much where you're increasing your pain and limiting your progress but you don't want to do too little where you're actually deconditioning and not working towards your goals. Instead, you want to find the right level of activity that complements your goals while minimizing flare-ups. We call this the Goldilocks principle. To reduce the possibility of doing too much too soon, we have a huge focus on a structured, gradual approach to loading. Exercises begin easier and allow for modifications or, or, you know, scaling it back as needed. You will slowly progress through harder exercises and will slowly increase the volume, but you'll always be able to advance at your own pace. And that's how we build resilience over time. This is very much related to the next key aspect again, which is graded exposure. As we mentioned earlier, sometimes like we often avoid or become fearful of certain positions, movements, activities based on the belief that they're harmful. I just want to assure you that nothing is off limits forever. It's actually safe and healthy for the spine to be loaded and move through different directions. In fact, it builds more resilience. We encourage you to lift and move in a variety of ways. This is something you might explore on your own as well. We've, we've tried to stay away from rounding your back for extended periods of time because you viewed it as harmful. Maybe one of your goals will be to gradually expose yourself to rounding your back by practicing cat-cows or other exercises. There is no like time frame though, so you're always in control. You, can, you only have to do what you're comfortable with. As I mentioned earlier, it can be really helpful to make temporary modifications. We just don't want those modifications to become permanent. The concepts and a big one we can control is general physical activity. Although the advice may, you know, this advice may seem so generic and so simple that we'll often just discard it, attempting to live a healthier lifestyle will always be recommended in the management of low back pain. One way you can do this is through general physical activity. It's not uncommon for the pain to contribute to like functional limitations and like lead to like a decrease in your activity levels. 
which tends to increase over time. So now building strength and movement will obviously help that. And so we will, like something as simple as walking, sometimes tracking your steps and after a couple of weeks, see if you can gradually do a little more each week will go a long way. And you can build it into your day or strive for a dedicated duration of time. You know, 10 minutes of walking in the morning, afternoon, and evening for a total of 30 minutes each day. And then if appropriate, you could, you could try doing 12 to 15 minute walks. Like we recommend keeping an eye on your steps. You know, it's not mandatory by any means. You could cycle, swim, or do some other form of physical activity. Something is always better than nothing, especially if your injury or symptoms have like led you to being less physically active over time. All right, let's keep rolling on because this is another um, big factor which affects your low back pain and, and it's sleep. Pain and sleep have a bi-directional relationship. Worse sleep can contribute to an increase in pain and an increase in pain can contribute to worse sleep. However, the relationship for sleep affecting pain is stronger than pain affecting sleep. We'll save the sleep um, chat for another podcast because I um, have a, a special guest in mind to bring on who knows a hell of a lot about it. Stress. Okay, this is another factor that is so easy to discount, but stress is, the, is, is really the last major lifestyle factor we'll discuss. And just think about this theoretical question. If sitting is an aggravating activity for you, do you think your symptoms would be more likely to be affected while rushing to finish a project? or at work, or playing your favorite game with family and friends. Stress is often fought about in the context of big events, moving to a new city, or major life you know, circumstances like a job. But that's not the emphasis here, because sometimes those things are impossible or really difficult to change. Instead, what you can do, or, you know, or what can you do to alleviate stress? An example, do you scroll through social media when you get home after a long day work? You know, yeah, I, I know I do. If so, do you find that this activity, you know, actually reduces your stress and revitalizes you? You know, if it doesn't, what else could you do that would? Would it be calling up a friend or going for a walk or shoot, meditating? When it comes to stress, a little change can make a large difference. So I've talked a lot. And it's just been me kind of talking at you, but I just wanted to get this information because it really sets a good ground, a ground base to sort of build from. So as I mentioned, we've gone through a lot today and how could you realistically put this information into practice? Uh, Here are probably four tips I would start with. The first one is modify the modifiable. For example, if you would benefit from improving your sleep quality or quantity, but have a newborn baby at home, don't stress about it. Focus on what is truly in your control. We've provided some examples and recommendations, but you just have to discover what works best for you. Uh, The second tip here is reach for the lowest hanging fruit. You don't have to overhaul your entire life. What's the easiest thing that you can change that will make the biggest impact? The third point here is starting small. Let's say you identified that you would benefit from walking more, but you're currently relatively inactive. Aim for something that you could confidently accomplish on a regular basis, as opposed to setting an unrealistic goal that doesn't get done. Number four here is write it down. 
keep yourself accountable, reflect on how you're doing, and try to build momentum. So there you have it. There's a little overview of some back pain myths and misconceptions and some ideas behind what you can actually do. As always, if you have any questions, please reach out. Don't be a stranger. We are here to help. Don't forget to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. We would love you to leave a review, which will help us share our enjoyment of movement with more people. Learn more about Adaptive Strength by searching for Adaptive Strength on social media or by visiting our website at www.adaptivestrength.com.au. This podcast is recorded on Wajak Noongar Buja and we acknowledge the traditional custodians of the unceded lands on which we live, learn and work and pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging.